We are okay. we're ready. Um, there, there was some machine there was some machine learning going on this morning. I had to learn how to operate my machine because uh, I'm on a new version of Skype, and um, you know I'm not I'm not <laughs> eight anymore, so I can't automatically figure out technology like I used to be able to. So That's right. we're gonna do this thing. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, Brent. How are you doing? Fantastic, man. I just got back from a California trip. Spent three days in San Francisco and Irvine and uh, got back late last night. So yeah, we're not happy the, to be home. We're not the kings of content, but guess what, Brent? This is number 75. Woo! So we're going to knock it out of the park for number 75. And um, right. so, uh, you know, let's do this thing. And uh, welcome to the Hot Isle. I am Brian Carpenter and with me. Brent Piotti. And we brought yet another amazing guest. And uh, the goal of this show is we're going to learn a little bit about machine learning, uh, deep learning, AI, and the concentric circles and the marketing terms that they are. Uh, and so uh, we've brought it with us a guest, as usual. Those guests are smarter than we are. We ask them really easy questions, and they give us really great answers. Uh, so this time, uh, we brought with us David Gonzo Gonzalez. So do you want us to call you David or Gonzo? You know, I prefer Gonzo. It's a nickname I've had since kindergarten. So we're going Gonzo. We normally ask that before, but guys, we're just going to share everything we do with you live. So Gonzo, uh, you know, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks, fellas. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys. And so right now, okay, so this is one fun thing. Your LinkedIn shows you've got like, uh, I think you figured out how to duplicate yourself because you're doing three or four different things. But the reason you're here for me is uh, you're the CEO of Ziff or is it Ziff AI or which? How how do we describe you? Uh, yeah, we're we're still figuring that one out. So Ziff 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 uh, That's our website. You can find us at Ziff.ai. Awesome. Uh, and then on top of that, it looks like you're doing a couple other things. And ironically, we didn't know this when we reached out. Uh, you're actually on the advisory board for Big Squid, and we're part of Big Squid. Big Squid was on not probably you know, probably in the last seven episodes or so. Oh yeah, who'd you have on with Big Squid? Uh, was it of course Chris? You're ask that. Uh, yeah. Chris. Oh yeah. So you had knock. Chris yeah. Nope. Yeah. Knock. Knock. Yes. yeah. Chris knock. Yeah. Knock is, uh, he's, he's a dear friend. I, uh, I, I think on some level I broke his heart when I quit. Um, but, but I couldn't quit all the way. So I'm an advisor and I love that company and yeah, a great, great team. Awesome. And then is pro and so project Ziff is also out there is project Ziff kind of the thing that was running in the background across multiple different companies that became what you are today with Ziff AI. Yeah, so I did uh, I did freelance consulting for a long, long time, and uh, Project Ziff was it was well, it ultimately became Ben Taylor and David Gonzalez, uh, but we had a lot of people involved. Um, it, it started with uh, I don't know, there was probably eight of us, and you know we didn't have an objective. We weren't going to try and start a company. It was more hey, let's 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 work together, see what we can do, and, and, and try and form tools, ideas, things that could be used to make the world of data science and advanced analytics easier, more fun, uh, reach a wider audience. Uh, and in the end, uh, what it kind of went down to was, you know, Ben Taylor and, I, and myself saying, you know, uh, without a lot of effort and elbow grease, uh, this whole space is going to always be a services thing. And so we made the determination that we we're going to build a product. And we've spent the last, I'd say about the last two, two and a half years in earnest, iterating on different ideas. And, uh, and what we landed on most recently is actually working. And so we were both able to quit our uh, very high paying jobs uh, much. And, and our, our wives were delighted. You know, they thought that was a great <laughs> idea. Uh, so we quit our high paying jobs and we went full time in April. And uh, yeah, so here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, another thing, you know, we kind of go through, there's a bunch of other things. You've been a uh, principal data scientist, a data analyst, so obviously a lot of data in the background, and that's why we have you here. Uh, yeah. It was actually, it's fun, because sometimes we make typos in our own notes. And, you know, your, your background is in biology, and one of the first jobs we have written here, um, it looked to me like it said thought biology, and I was really excited to, like, <laughs> learn about what thought biology was, and it turned out it was actually just taught biology, and I either can't yeah, read or... Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what you, you, your background, your education at uh, you know from uh, Brigham Young is um, biology. So we always love to hear. How, you know, we have people from all walks of life that end up into the job that they're at, and they rarely sound like the same thing. How does a biology masters uh, end up as the CEO of a artificial intelligence startup? Yeah. So I, I think uh, so. 
you know, and I'll, I'll get to, you know, how did I get there? But uh, I, I think the context is important. So we, we get, you know, we field the question, as I'm sure you do, um, and, and you probably ask it quite often, like, how do you get started in data science? And if you ask my business partner, he'll give you a very thoughtful uh, and encouraging answer uh, on how to get started. Uh, and my answer is simply just don't. Don't, don't get started in data science. Uh, I think it's a bad idea. And, and my rationale is not because I, I, I don't think that there are some valuable skills that are being learned along the way, but uh, what I'm finding increasingly is that the education tracks are focusing too much on data, data extraction, um, kind of machine learning, I don't know, a very high level approach to machine learning. And, and it kind of skips the, the fundamental question that one should be asking. And it's an emphasis on the scientist part, which is you should be seeking to understand or answer a question. And these folks that are on Kaggle and those kind of things are, aren't asking that question. The question's already asked for them. They're being asked to exercise an API uh, to chase alpha. And, and that's fine if you go and you want to be a BI analyst or some kind of glorified BI analyst. Uh, but if you really want to provide value to a company, you're going to have to help steer them towards answering a question. And, and the wonderful thing is, is if you go and you ask the right questions, the company will be delighted uh, that you've asked those questions because they're questions they're asking. Um, but if you just go in there and say, point me at the data and I'll come back and tell you something, more often than not, you know, because you're so prone to seeking alpha, as it were, you're going to go find the most like the, the, the easiest thing to predict, and 99 times out of 100, that stuff that's it's trivial. Like if a machine can learn it that quickly, they already know it. Um, and more than likely they figured out how to scale it. Like that, that's, the, that's the big gap on the you know, data versus objective uh, problem that invariably regresses to what looks like BI. So my background in bi biology I did a lot. Of, I did field ecology, a lot of work in field ecology. Um, I studied a lot of complex systems. Uh, I had a blast doing it. And for a big chunk of my grad degree, I spent time on lakes and I had a marvelous tan and, you know, looked like the half Mexican that I am. And it was wonderful. But, but the thing is, is even in that context, there was, there was such a demand to go and answer a real question, not just you know, not, not just go tool around in the lab, not just demonstrate that you have a facile grasp of, you know, in, in my case, statistics and, and, and some ecological models, but really, really demonstrate that you can go and attack a problem until the question is answered. And, and that doesn't come from learning how, you know, to exercise carrot or scikit-learn or carrots. So, yeah, so my background is, it's weird. Um, Frankly, you know, when I graduated in 2004, there wasn't, there weren't data scientists. So, you know, like, so there was no direct path to where I got to. Um, and I had a, I probably had a more winding path than most, but, uh, yeah, so I, I got here because I, I wasn't a good fit for academia, but I am a tenacious person when it comes to addressing the real problems, the real questions. And I will be dismissive of questions that I do not think have merit. Um, in a business context and yeah, and people don't necessarily like that. And so that scares me a little bit for a podcast, but we'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's well, okay. I, I've learned to be amiable right over the years. <laughs> uh, I, I've been, I've managed to stay married for going on 17 years. Uh, so I have learned something about interpersonal communication, uh, not, not <laughs> enough, but something. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny that you say that you're, you're not uh, built for academia yet. You have a master's degree. And so obviously you stuck it out. Uh, making that happen. Yeah, but you know, I, I I didn't get a PhD. I didn't become a professor. That kind of thing. You know. So sure, gotcha. So uh, one of the things that we we picked up on was uh, you have a patent, a patent in machine learning for student engagement. Tell us about that and and how you came up with it and when. Okay, so uh, I did a stint as a subcontractor for a, a group here that uh, I don't know if they're still in existence. Um, but they were one of the early groups in my marketplace that was actually focusing on how to do applied machine learning in industry. And we had an opportunity to work on a project for Western Governors University. 
uh, WGU. Uh, they, they've garnered quite a lot of renown for their approach. It's a very weird model uh, by way of a, a quick aside. Previous to that, I was selling leads to a bunch of online universities. I, I worked at a marketing company, and then I started a marketing company. Um, and uh, and we were selling leads to abysmal online uh, universities. And, and I won't throw any of them under the bus, but you can go find you know the graduation rates for some of the bigger names, and they're in the you know mid to high teens on, on a six year cohort. Uh, you put WGU in that same group, and I think they surpassed recently. They surpassed the fifty two percent graduation rate for a six year cohort. And that makes them actually better than the average university. Hmm. So, so they're they're in a they're in a league all their own, right? In terms of what they're able to do, how they do it, um, they're affordable. It's it's kind of a wonderful institution. But they had a, a mandate, and this is when was this? 2012, 11, 12, something like that. Uh, it's been a bit. They had a mandate from their CEO to create specialized, you know, like very personalized education tracks for all of their. Uh, uh, mid-career, you know, uh, adult learners. So we went in there and uh, built some very complex data streams. Uh, I actually built out a proof of concept keylogger and mouse trails tracker. Um, and we had, you know, we had permission to do it. It wasn't you know, a federal offense. Uh, but we were tracking all kinds of things. And surprisingly uh, and delightfully, uh, with one of the, we, we ran a proof of concept in their lowest graduating course, it's an early English class that the vast majority of their students have to go through and at the lowest pass rate. And at WGU, they only have a pass-fail system. So you have to demonstrate mastery, which is essentially a B. So you have to get about an 80% in the class uh, to pass. And they had a fail rate in like the almost the 70s, a 70% fail rate on that course. And so it was a bottleneck for all these people. So we collected all this information about what they were studying, when they were studying, what they were doing online, how they're doing it. And... Uh, with a, a pretty simple early model uh, where we were able to predict within six hours of online engagement where they were going to land, if they were going to pass. Uh, further, we were actually able to describe their engagement, right? And, and it, was, it was kind of a wonderful first uh, difficult problem. I, I'd done some machine learning and stuff in marketing. Uh, I learned some lessons along the way working with WGU that, you know, in marketing, we call it targeting. Uh, in universities, it's called racism and, and it's against the law. And so it was kind of weird, you know, had to, I had to learn some of those things, but uh, we were able to create uh, an understanding of uh, students' engagement online. And then we collaborated with the, uh, what do they call them? I can't remember. They were, they were the people who kind of build the courses, and I can't remember their technical term, but they build the courses. So we showed these patterns of engagement, and they were able to come up with a, a diagnosis of, like, what do they think was happening um, we were to ship, able to kind of dig into the logs and, and, and show them examples of things. And in the end, what surfaced was the the course instructors had a required uh, engage. They had a required 15-minute phone call. Sorry, let me get rid of this here. There you go. So they had a 15-minute phone call with their 100-odd students every week. And up until that point, it's, you know, it was pretty trivial conversation. Uh, how you doing? How's life? I uh, see, you know, whatever. Uh, pretty ineffectual conversations, but they were required. After our work, they were able to surface the top three recommendations based on uh, their engagement patterns and throw them into just a notes there in Salesforce. The, they use Salesforce as kind of a, a, a tracker. And now the inst course instructors were having a semi-guided conversation uh, with their students. And in 15 minutes, they're quickly saying, so your, your study patterns, it looks like your study patterns are changing. Like, what's going on there? Oh, well, I, I change shift at work and this kind of stuff. Uh, it still blows me away. They were able to completely flip that around. Like, it, it went down to, like, teens on, on fail rate. So they went from like almost a 70% fail rate to, you know, about an 80% pass rate, like completely turned it around. And, and for me, that just blew me away. I, I, I was at that point, I was, I was baptized into the church of machine learning. And, and I truly believed that there were ways to make brilliant automation with humans in the loop that would change lives. 
and uh, and so I was sold. I, I didn't do anything. I haven't done anything since that was so uh, easily on the plus side of helping society. Um, but that one's there. That's a win. I could take that one to the grave, uh, and I probably I might have to rest on that one. You know, like everything else might be trivial compared to that. But <laughs> well, very cool. So, so, so speaking of uh, you know teaching people and helping them uh, on your medium blog, you're a mm. self-described Lego coach. So, what's what's going on there? Oh yeah, so there's a uh, there's a worldwide nonprofit organization called First Lego League, and uh, they have a they have an idea that they can help the world. Uh, the world's children become uh, accustomed and I don't know, they, they got some, you can look up the mission statement, but it's something like we want people and children to be exposed to engineering, right? And, and so I loved, I love the idea of it. We actually started because uh, our, our now 12 year old son, soon to be 13, when we started this was eight. And I, I think my wife and he found it online. They somehow found out about this and he was too young at the time. Uh, you can go from 9 to 15 in the U.S. And, and they found this and said, we really want to do this. And so we went and looked around and there wasn't any uh, leagues or, or there weren't any teams in our in our city. So I started two teams and, and I've been doing that for four years. And First Lego Leave is, is uh, I think, first and foremost, the, the kids love that there's a robotics competition. So you build uh, robots, you have to program them with Legos. Uh, but there's there's additional components like you have to do a whole project. There's a theme every year, and so you have to create an invention around that theme. Uh, and then there's some kind of core values stuff. So, you know, just character building kind of stuff. So yeah, I've done that for four years. I love it. Uh, I work with our uh, local recreation center, um, and we work with two teams. And yeah, every cool. year we got about you know 18 kids that go through that program. Yeah, I, you know, I would say describing it, it's much richer than I anticipated. When I saw a Lego coach, I'm like, oh yeah, he helps kids like build the 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 um, Battlestar, you know, or the destroyer or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> You're showing your irrelevance quickly, Brent. Yeah, so. but no, um, no, Brent, it's, it's, that's kind of what I thought it was at first. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like I don't, I don't want to. Like, Clive's good at buildings. So I, I, I don't need to help him. But no, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's it's wonderful because it's absolutely the hardest thing that these children have ever done. A lot of them come in and they're very, very good at school. It, you know, it attracts a nerdier group of kids. Uh, and, and they get a lot of strokes at school uh, for being intelligent, smart, you know, reading above grade, maybe skipping a grade and all that kind of thing. And they come into Lego League and I tell them, like, you're going to be miserable. Like, there's no A's. It's all open-ended. And more than likely, you're going to fail at everything that you do here. So, you know, buckle Good up. Life it's, lessons. And it is. It's wonderful. By the end, they're both just, like, I think they're both distraught. And 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 deeply deeply uh, excited at the prospect of trying it again. So, yeah. well, um, so this goes right in line with with my next uh, question. And, and you tweeted about this, and clearly you've learned a lot. You said you started this about four years ago. Uh, your tweet says this: uh, Ten years ago, I resented it when others complained I didn't explain it at an eighth grade level. Five years ago, I figured out that they were right. Now I chastise myself when I fail to explain what I know at a fifth grade level. So I want you to explain at maybe a five-year-old level. That's about my level. Yep. <laughs> Let's break down artificial intelligence, machine learning, and deep learning. Great question. So, I mean, let's start with artificial intelligence because I think that is um, – I think that's the harder one. Artificial intelligence is more, a, it's an idea, right? Uh, there are ways to try and, and turn that idea into something, but really it is an idea. And it's this idea that human beings possess intelligence, the ability to reason, to ration. Um, and, and, and we would, uh, I, I think nowadays, most would include, most of the animal kingdom contains some level of intelligence, the ability to choose and decide uh, assess the situation and make a decision. And, and all of that bundle of goods is intelligence. So the idea with artificial intelligence is that, you know, so animals and humans, we possess real intelligence, uh, genuine intelligence, but maybe we could train a machine or somehow build a machine that could also possess uh, that those kinds of things, that, that, that ability to reason, that ability to understand, to assess and decide. And, and if we did, then that would be an artificial or simulated form of intelligence. 
And, and so it's this idea that maybe we could do that. Um, does that does that sound clear? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so a subset of this idea of artificial intelligence is a discipline. It's a mathematical and computer science discipline that you can you, you learn in, you know, like in a university setting uh, or on your, on your own now. Like you don't have to go to the U anymore. You can, I don't know, there's, there's YouTube channels, there's, you know, MOOCs and all this stuff. But they're, the, the goal there is to teach you uh, a few mathematical principles and frameworks for learning patterns in data. And that's really all machine learning is, is, okay, so one component of artificial intelligence would be the ability to assess something, like to actually, you know, look at an image, uh, look at some numbers, uh, look at some text, uh, listen to some audio, watch a video, right? There, you think of kind of our five senses and, and you know, not quite all of them, but, you know, a, a few of them, we think, hey, you know what? A machine could do that. It probably can't smell, but it could see. you got cameras. Um, it, it, it's got a mic, so, you know, it could hear. Uh, and it's got speakers, so it could probably talk. So, really, we're kind of limited there. Uh, but within all of that data, we probably could find patterns. And, and on, on a kind of a... I would say a more rudimentary, not not less valuable, just a more rudimentary form of this. Some of these patterns are much easier to find, and and we've built some really cool stuff on some of these patterns. Uh, in, in kind of the middle ground, we have much more complicated uh, data. You know, so we have Im images and, and audio and and text that are very complicated, and they don't they don't lend themselves to understanding as easily. And so we have different models for that. But really, it's just learning the skills um, and the frameworks. Uh, not, not can, I'm not talking about uh, software frameworks. It's not like TensorFlow versus this or that. I'm saying quite literally there are uh, mathematical frameworks for learning patterns. And uh, the, the simplest among those would be like a linear regression that learns a pattern in data. You've got more complex patterns that can be learned like Bayesian uh, analysis. You've got even more complicated patterns that can be learned through... Uh, like gradient boosted regression and then you have even more patterns that are more complicated and and models that are more complicated with things like deep neural networks but they all just learn the patterns in the data and if they can learn them accurately you have a good model and if they learn them inaccurately you have a poor model what they learn though can be used downstream uh, you know, in, in a business context or something like that so i don't know does that answer your question is that helpful it does. And then the final thing would be the, the deep learning aspect of it. How would you differentiate machine learning and deep learning? Uh, so deep learning is a subset of machine learning. Uh, so I, I, I personally wouldn't differentiate them. But I would say that if we're talking about in the marketplace of ideas, machine learning would be more classic models, right? So these would be, uh, let's say, anything that can deal with structured data, or semi-structured data. So when I say semi-structured data, it means that quite literally, it's data that lends itself to being turned into either a float or a Boolean. That's that's what machine learning kind of classically can do, is it can handle floats and Booleans. With deep learning, you you have you have kind of a weird problem. You you can learn from much more complex data, but it has to be more narrowly scoped. So you, you could use images, a whole bunch of images, or you could use audio files, a whole bunch of audio files. And, and these deep neural networks, what they are in, in kind of the parlance of machine learning is they're feature extractors. So you build this giant network, uh, multi-layered network, and each one of these layers is doing what a data scientist would do to, let's say, a 4,000-column Excel spreadsheet. They're looking at each column of data and saying, hmm, it looks like a date. Uh, I know dates kind of decompose into months and seasons, and I think all of those could be useful, so I'm going to pull that out of the date. And then maybe you have a small text field, and you're like, oh, this is like a categorical, so I'm going I'm to isolate a few categories and turn that into a feature of, like, is it red, green, or blue? Uh, and you go through that whole data set in kind of a classic machine learning approach. On the neural net side, you quite literally just throw in the top of the neural network a whole bunch of files of one kind. And it creates all of the features, layer by layer by layer by layer by layer. And when you're all done, you get this kind of dense layer at the bottom that is 
a description of that data in numbers. And then all you have to do is take a very, very simple uh, algorithm, say, I don't know, a logistic regression, right? And you quite literally, that's uh, very often a good choice. You put a logistic regression on the bottom, you say, I want you to be able to regress or categorize this data that came out of the net and turn it into, say, is it a cat or not a cat? Is it a hot dog, not hot dog? Uh, you know, what's the price of this car? Uh, and, and that's what, so deep, deep neural networks, all they do are they extract all these features. And you can, you can take a look at these features, and some of them look like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that kind of looks like a part of a hot dog. And others, you have no idea. Like, you don't know what it is. It's some glint of the light somehow, and then and, and that matters. So. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm going to make a bit of a leap here, and, and tell me if I if I'm miscategorizing this, but um, I'm assuming that you've got development experience and are kind of savvy to that. Um, so could you could you um, draw the correlation between or write the correlation like an analogy of? Uh, I guess uh, DL would be similar to microservices in a, the in the development world. So you you have a set of simple. Um, a s- simple programs that when you add them all together, they make they, they give you a complex type of response working together. Well, I like that analogy. I think that's useful. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I'd say, yeah, you, you got uh, kind of more classic approaches that are kind of monolithic applications, um, and 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 they do one thing, which is yeah, and yeah. So machine learning attempts to classify or regress, right? Classify or put a number to something. And you're still trying to do almost the same thing with the deep learners. But yeah, the deep learner is actually using almost like a microservice. He's got a bunch of layers and each one does its own little job well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah and, so, yeah, and so as we look, you know, kind of at leveraging, obviously you've talked about using all of this, you know, either simple math or kind of more complex type uh, experience with artificial intelligence and all of that in business, right? And that's kind of, uh, and part of this is trying to simplify it for business. Uh, there's also the case of like oversimplification, right? And uh, even a recent, I don't know how recent it was, but you had a blog post around kind of the correlations not equal to causation, which is one of the one of the most common things to be said, yet kind of the hardest to grasp for some people. Um, where do you see businesses failing to see things around probability where they're they're using these tools and yet what they're finding out or what they think they're finding out, they kind of almost bias themselves or they're they're looking for the wrong thing because they tried to use the tool the wrong way and things like that. You know, obviously that was kind of your, your, some of your goal there. So, you know, tell us your story or your experience around that. Yeah. That, oh, that, so let me preface it with, you know, there, there's the classic, you know, Caraway's Venn diagram. You have, uh, what is it like math and stat skills, hacking skills, and some substantive expertise. And, and so I would say that the, the number one violation of, uh, of, common sense that happens when a company endeavors to take on a problem with machine learning is they kind of eject their brain and they're like, all of our expertise is probably shit. So we're going to throw it away. And now we're just going to use like math and coding. And somehow we're going to get to like amazing stuff. And, you know, and so I I love the tried and true, you know, data mining example, beer and diapers. I don't know if you guys have heard the, you know, the classic idea. Uh, I don't know if it's true. Okay, so if you, so, there's a. I don't know if this is actually true or or if it's just kind of an a, just a useful type of uh, analogy. But or it's I would call it a a parable. It's a useful a useful parable that turns out if you put beer and diapers closer together in a grocery store, you sell more of both. It's like mind blown. <laughs> you know, you're like, whoa! I had no idea, and and you know it. And the best part of that is you tell somebody that, and it sounds, you, you just sound true when you say it, right? You say it with a straight face. And people will come up with reasons like, that makes sense. You're like, really? Does it really make sense? Um, I, I like to go the other direction and say, so when you find out insights like that, there, there's two things that's gonna, that are going to go wrong. First, no one's going to question it. So we just say, yes, go ahead. That sounds amazing. Two, you more than likely have tasked some idiot like myself who doesn't know the first thing about retail to say, like, great, this is a great insight. Let's go and act it. And so, you know, like a dumbass, I'm going to go and I'm going to put the diaper display in the beer aisle. Like literally four hours later, you know, the, the evening news is going to be there and like it's the meltdown of society. And look at the travesty that's happening at this grocery store selling diapers, you know, in the beer aisle. Like that, that's what happens. So we're not even and, and I say that kind of 
tongue in cheek, but the reality is that's what happens in business is you have this kind of the blind leading the blind and they've all left their brains behind. So the way you can protect yourself from this is you have to remember that the substantive expertise comes at a very dear cost. And that fresh grad student or the recently, you know, uh, employed physics student who decided that, oh, it turns out that universities only hire a tenured physics professor once every 10 years. So I think that's probably not my path in life. Uh, and I'm doing well in Kaggle. Like that person walking into your business is of almost no value because they don't have substantive expertise. They don't have common sense. They don't have instinctual understanding of how your problems behave. And so if you test them with, here's my data, learn something. The, the best outcome is that they come back with you and say, we learned something, and you're like, we already knew that. And you're like, oh, cool. There you go. That validates our existence. The worst is they come with you a beer and diapers example, and you just pivot the entirety of your business on this kind of asinine idea. Uh, so I, I would say make sure that common sense is front and forward. Like, you know, we like to walk in and say, great, give us some ideas. Those are some good ideas. Now, give us all of the ideas in the order of most likely to hit the bottom line or the top line. So are these operational concerns that could be solved? Are they revenue opportunities that could be increased? And, and let's go after the hardest problem that has the highest impact. And, and if we can do something about that, then we've proven something. I mean, if we can't do anything about that, then we're probably back to human problems. And machines are only going to make human problems worse. Like, they usually don't help. Like, so... And that, that kind of goes into your uh, another quote that we had of you, which is like, I think you've said it this way, but in a different way. It's that if you marry intuition with advanced analytics, it will trump intuition alone every time. But like you're saying, you essentially have to have that intuition first. You yeah. You know, I love that you know, Caraway's Venn diagram, right? I love it. I love it. But what what I, I find, uh, I, I think at one point I did a post, or maybe I haven't put it out there, but I'm like, if we drew these to scale, Right. Like in the in a data scientist, you'd say like, great, math and stats would be like this big, giant bubble, you know, and hacking skills would be pretty small. And substantive expertise would like it be a pinprick. Like so they'd have an overlap, but the person effectively doesn't know anything about what you're doing. So they can't bring to bear any understanding that's useful. And, and then in industry, we kind of have that's completely in reverse. Right. We have a lot of competent engineers um, we have people who run their businesses and know a ton and they just don't have math and stat skills. So, you know, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you need that intuition. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a, there's an interesting article that wall street journal came out with. And, and I think you're basically alluding to this in your comment, but they're saying even the best AI in the world still needs humans. Right. And there was something like they talked about Facebook. Um, they have 10,000 people today going through, stuff to make sure that it's like legit that their machine learning and their algorithms that are attacking it or are doing the right thing and with all of the stuff happening with you know hashtag fake news now they're going to hire another 10,000 people just to make sure that their algorithms are uh, uh, um, acting appropriately and then they went on to say there's something like geez half a million if not more depending if you look at china for instance and they don't count those stats into actually uh, looking looking after the same things that machines are doing to, to ensure that they're doing them correctly. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's, there's some parts of what you're describing that I have just like philosophical disgust for. Um, and there's some parts of what you're talking about that I feel are they just seem so deliberately like, it just seems like such deliberate posturing. Um, so I, I won't, I won't necessarily devolve into those and I'll just attack kind of the machine learning side, which is right now, the biggest problem we have in machine learning is that we actually don't have any good data or not a whole lot of it, right? We just don't have a lot of good curated data sets. Uh, there are five companies in the world, thereabouts, who have some great data. You know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, and Microsoft. Uh, they have some great data. Uh, and I like to say we have a 95% problem. The the other 95% of the Fortune uh, 100 companies, uh, they, they heard about big data a while ago, and they've been collecting business exhaust, but they have no objective. So 
most of that data is garbage. It's not really that helpful. Uh, and and the catch up game for going from well, you know where they're at to where these five leaders are is a decade. Like all of those companies have a decade of purposeful, very disciplined approach to collecting very gnarly data, with the idea that you know what at some point we're going to be able to teach a machine to do it. Uh, and, and so on the fake news side, I think the the one thing that I can say with you know kind of without devolving into a scree uh, is that. What's fake news? Like, riddle me this. What is fake news? I don't know. Like, haven't we always had fake news? Like, I don't know. Like, you know, I walk in the grocery store. And I'm like, I don't know who buys this, but it's fake news. And and they, and somebody loves it. Like, somebody loves fake news. And, and then they keep these tabloids and stuff in, in business. <laughs> and, and, you, and you look at Facebook and I'm like, What's Facebook? I thought Facebook was like the checkout line at their grocery store uh, on some days. And, you know, on its best day, it's a cocktail party where, you know, kind of everybody's, you know, talking about how awesome they are. And, you know, they're a little tipsy. And but that, I mean, like Facebook's garbage. Like in terms of what is what is the value it's providing to society? It's kind of garbage. <laughs> It, it did uh, at least help a- me learn how to uh, be be much better at my own personal 3D printer. So it's the only redeeming quality I found out of Facebook in like the last three years was the the group yeah. support. Right. Well, and and that's because it has a collective attention span thing. But you know, let's be yeah. honest. Like, if Facebook didn't exist, wouldn't there be a forum out there that said like, "This is how you do 3D printers"? Like, ah, it, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Facebook is pandering to some of the worst of human. Uh, some of the worst of the human condition and and now they're coming back and saying hey so we built this thing on a pile of you know poking people uh literally you know kind of quite figuratively poking them digitally to see if we can get a reaction and and we got a reaction and now we're going to come back and say oh we're going to use this mountain of data and power to declare fake news i'm like "Eh, shut up i don't (laughs) care So you, you and Brent did uh, as we as I as I blocked the downward spiral. You and Brent did um, bring up two kind of interesting things, both of which kind of said the same thing. You know, Brent mentioned it a little bit. You did too uh, around the fact that we have a lot of data, but not a lot of good data. And so, like my personal little thought, uh, I make small thoughts, not big ones, is that we're kind of like at the end of the uh, cute little index engine era, right? And we've been collecting, like you said, business exhaust. And now we have a bunch of this business exhaust that is not well tagged, not well tra- you know, transformed and put in a place where a machine could actually learn from it. And yet what people really need to do now is head towards that, right? With all of that data, because they're not going to look at it themselves. Uh, nobody has yet figured out how to read the matrix. So uh, is that kind of what you're alluding to as far as that data and as far as people being able to get good data is that they have it, but it's just not not categorized. It's not appropriately useful for a machine. That's right. Yeah. It, you know, you know, yeah. The term of art is it's not machine ready, uh, but it's not even close, right? It's not even close. And, and even if you, you can machinify some of this data and you'll find out that it doesn't have much to say. So, I, you know, in my world, I, I tend to say that we cover a lack of data around a business objective with human expertise. And that's called business intelligence, right? When we take business intelligence, like these are kind of data calibrated understandings, data calibrated decision making, but it's calibrated. It's not, there is no, we're going to task the machine and it gets to make a decision because typically we're not collecting enough data to actually decide, you know, based on the data alone for, for kind of these unstructured problems where we have things that human beings are really good at image, audio, text, video, uh, we just don't have great data sets, like you said, and 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 they're very labor intensive. I mean, inordinately labor intensive. Some of the bigger data sets that I've built in that, you know, in that realm, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to author. Like this is this is after you've already collected the data. Now you actually have to curate this data set. It's going to cost you tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to curate and manicure that data set into something that a machine can actually use. And that's because you're using humans. Yeah, it's mechanical Turk. You're only paying them a penny per thing, but you got a lot of you got a lot of pennies. You got to you dump on this problem. Have you used the mechanical Turk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used mechanical Turk. I've used some of these, uh, you know, wrappers and standalone things like the like Crowdflower stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 
I just found out about it the other day. I, I was trying to figure out whether or not I was going to use it to uh, ruin someone's rating on Yelp. And then <laughs> I was really, I was really mad one day, but I decided not to mainly because I didn't want to get my yeah. credit card out of my pocket. So right. uh, Ryan, way to go. Way to, you know, count to 10. That was good. <laughs> so, you know, let's get, I mean, you're saying all these things. And so I'm going to foray into what Ziff is doing, right? Let's saw yeah. what, how you want to solve this problem. And specifically, I, you know, quickly, what is your advice to somebody who, like you said, has got all of this data and it's frankly barely used for, or they're not collecting good data, but you want to get them to the point where they are. What do you, what do you tell them? Obviously you're going to bluntly tell them, but what do you tell them? Well, so I'll, I'll preface this with when we started in April, the answer would have been, Hey, we're going to, we're going to help your engineer and your product owner build very, very complex uh, workflows. And steps in those workflows are going to be models, like artificial intelligence models. And you're going to be able to flow your data through, and the engineer is going to be able to consume this wonderful, like easy-to-use endpoint, and, and life is going to be golden. And, and we've done that to a degree. But uh, what we found out in the last you know, six-odd months is we still haven't learned enough as a company, and maybe even as a marketplace, how to explain that at a fifth grade level like that that's really what it boils down to and you know the you you, you can probably tell that the layer of that is i now have a very deep respect for everybody's domain expertise and the reason why we have to talk to each other at a fifth grade level is because you haven't walked you know the ten thousand miles in my shoes to know what i know but i if you can communicate your ten thousand mile journey uh we'll, we'll be all right like in a fifth grade level so we've, we've kind of taken a step back from that ambitious goal. We still, we still have that. We have uh, you know, a handful of customers who are using uh, the fruits of that effort, and they're doing really well with it. And we're really excited to see that thing kind of grow over time. But what we've discovered is the question that you brought up initially, how can we help them make better use of the data that's already flowing through their systems? And, and it's kind of, let's, let's decrease the emphasis on the AI and increase the emphasis on something you said, like the, the index problem. We're actually taking this approach where we're creating these gigantic indexes now, like enormous indexes. And this is made possible through some really cutting edge hardware and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what we're surfacing is the ability for a data pipeline to comprehend your unstructured data, know what's in there. Uh, auto tag it, auto label it, and index it so that you can search it. So you maybe have a big junk drawer of images, and you know that's kind of Google Photos, right? But what if you could do Google Photos for image, audio, video, and text, and it could comprehend you know rough ideas or even very precise ideas. And over time, as you become accustomed to querying your data, not just retrieving files. Uh, what else might you do with that? You know, and, and we feel like the natural progression is eventually you'll ask for custom tags or custom labels. And you don't care that a machine learning pass had to go through learning that. You just like you want a custom tag. And ultimately, ultimately, we'll circle back and we're like, hey, we'll peel back the covers and say, hey, it's just a workflow under there. And you, too, could author a workflow. But right now, it, it really is that first step. How do you help people make better use of their unstructured data? And, and that's kind of our guiding light right now. So make better use of unstructured data, uh, specifically in one of your blog posts, you talk about, uh, you know, making the, the, the leap into uh, analytics, right? Kind yeah. of leap is the new crud. So I, I would, I would, we'll go into what leap is, but uh, the first L is label, which is like what I think you're like alluding to, right? When you're talking about, you know, tagging <laughs> yeah, and did, metadata. You know, you know, when you say it like that, Brent, it's like throwing my own idea in my face. Like, hey, dumbass, like how come you didn't come <laughs> with this idea? Like, you know, in April when you wrote the blog post. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The first, uh, you know, the first letter in leap is label. So okay. you, yeah, you have to label your data first. Yeah. You say it like that. I feel really dumb. Yeah. Okay. That's good. No intent <laughs> there to make you feel dumb. I, I want to lead you into the, the next <laughs> The next iteration, right? Let's talk about Leap. Yeah, so Leap. You know, I, I had this idea. It was it, it was on the heels of jumping from one company where I was working tangentially to a product. I, I made the decision over the last four years. I, I spun down my consulting group. 
the, the short little vignette on that is, you know, it was about this time of year, you know, when things are slowing down and I tell my wife, I'm like, Hey, uh, I think next year I only want one client and she, you know, she kind of gives me a hug and then she, you know, she looks at me with her, her tender kind eyes and says, Oh, you lovable dumbass. That's called having a job. And we both know <laughs> how good you are at that. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's awesome. Your and wife's so, gonna, your wife's going to be our next guest on the podcast oh, because she has the best oh, advice man. in the world. <laughs> she is amazing. I I I'm so so fortunate to have that woman as my friend. She's wonderful. Uh, but you know, she gave me some good advice. She's like, you know what? Take take some time, spin things down, and take four six months, whatever, and really be careful about this. Like, understand your motivations for going forward. And, and that was super helpful because as I was able to take that time, what I came up with is I think I was just deeply, deeply dissatisfied with the status quo, which is this is always going to be a service. Data science is either going to be an external service or you're going to hire a bunch of people and it's going to be a service internally. And what I really want it to be is I want it to behave more like a database. Like I kind of want it to be a technology, you know, and there can be experts in that technology. There are people who build databases, but most of us don't. You know, that's kind of a bad idea. So, yeah. So, what I came up with throughout going through that product experience was engineers love cred. Like, it's such a great concept. Create, read, update, delete. Like, oh, that's pretty much everything you'd want your application to be able to do with data. You want to author a record. You want to update it. Oh, change my password, right? You want to come back and you say, here's my profile. Read all of my data, right? And delete. It's like delete your account. And we, you know, pick your celebrity of choice. You know, I don't know. Go delete your account. But, but it needed to be that. Like something about the way we are going to transition forward in analytics needed to have that kind of comfort. And so, after much ado uh, and hemming and hawing, I thought, you know what? What are what what would be the 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 analogous processes in analytics? And it's like, well, it's label, it's explore, it's analyze and predict. I'm like, that's really that's really what it is. And if I could teach engineers that that's all it is, then I can probably convince them that they shouldn't quit their day job and try and become or get started in data science. They can actually just continue to deliver amazing value because I love engineers. They're always like all day long, they're delivering value and it's going right into the hands of people like actual human beings and, and you know, machines and is doing stuff. And as data scientists, we sit on our little, you know, pseudo ivory cowers, you know, in R saying, well, you know, I found out something counterintuitive, beer and diapers. And the engineers are like, that's really counterintuitive. It's really cool. What do I do with it? And I go, I don't know. Like let's deploy R. Yeah. Good luck. So, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, label, explore, analyze, delete. That's those are the four, like truly rudimentary principles, and and you have to have labeled data, true, to get started. But yeah, yeah. And so since uh, Ziff is since Ziff AI is probably not a enterprise package supported version of R, as you say. Um, <laughs> nope. What it, what is it doing to help that uh, leap process, or what is it doing on top of or around that leap experience? So so. I mean, this is wonderful. Like, I, I'm finding myself have to grapple with my own ideas and realizing that, you know, I probably should have brought them out earlier on in the process of our product development. Um, but uh, I think initially our grandiose idea was how can, we people, how can we help people quickly go through almost a brainstorm, brainstorming exploration? Like, what could we do? And quickly kind of skip over the analyzing and get right to predict. Like, you know, the, so Ziff was going to be the solution to analyzing that data and just giving you the prediction in the format that you wanted. And where we've kind of reeled in is now we're focusing on putting all of that analysis in the background, using a lot of pre-built authored models that we have and some, you know, some interesting secret sauce stuff kind of stuff. But really we're creating these living indexes, right? So you take your unstructured data and it just constantly gets smarter. But what it does is it indexes your data. That's it. Like, you know, and we all have dealt with a, an index database and they're really quick at what they do. And, and for what we're doing, it's, I think there's an analogy to kind of the full text maturation cycle where, you know, you could use, a large scale regex on top of a MapReduce job and you could go pull all kinds of cool data out of all your documents. 
But now you've got like the Lucene stack stuff. And, and now it's just full text search as a service, right? And you can go and you can query massive, massive amounts of text and just find things lickety-split. What if you could do that with your images? What if you could do that with audio? What if you could do that with your videos? Like, suddenly engineers are empowered to build amazing, cool stuff. Because at, at the end of the day, we are just, I, I think we're just over, like, irrationally in love with product people. I, I, I know I am. Um, and that's mostly just jealousy. I'm like, I'm always tasked to find interesting things and people give me all kinds of kudos for what I've found and what I've discovered, but I never see it hit the end of the line. And on the other hand, these engineers are like, maybe that little trivial thing you did was somewhat trivial, but guess what? It's actually doing stuff and now millions of people are using it. So, <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I love it, right? You, you're, 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 you're a harsh critic and that's great. I, I, I love this quote that you, you said, I think it was on a YouTube interview. But he said, "In the future, I don't, I, I don't want there to be data scientists. I just want there to be really smart engineers." Which I, I think is what you're you're trying to do, right? You're yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have this. You know, it, it doesn't usually happen in January, but I have an annual process. You know, a lot of people they do their New Year's resolutions. I, I have this troubling habit of doing double down or let it go. I call it taking inventory, and uh, my my wife does not relish the fact that every year she's she's on the list, like. I've never let her go. I never would. I don't. I don't. Th I'm 17 years in. She's been. She's number one. Double down. But she hates that her name's even on the list, right? So, but I'm going to double down on that statement. Like that is, from my perspective, even more that I. I won't speak entirely for Ben, though. I know it does motivate him. I want engineers to just be smarter. Like I've watched this trajectory where you know, in 1999, if you could kind of write HTML and a little bit of you know style sheet kind of stuff, you could get you know software development salary. Flash forward five years, you had to be able to marry it to a database software engineer salary. Five years later, you had to be able to also deploy it to a phone software developer salary. And we just keep kind of doubling down on what it takes to be an engineer. And and I would love in, in, not, in maybe five years for all engineers to say, yeah, yeah, I interface with machine learning models. I know how to do it just like I know how to use my ORM to interface with my database and I make world-class user experiences and product owner, tell me what you want and we'll make it and it'll feel magical. Like, so yeah, just, I want engineers to be even more powerful. And uh, I, I don't care if it comes on the, the, the buried dreams of a bunch of uh, ambitious data scientists, probably better. So. <laughs> well, I guess the, uh, the shortage of data scientists, if you get this thing up and running quickly, it won't be a problem anymore. That's right. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, they can all just, <laughs> You know, I, I think the future for quote the data scientist is probably business and an analytics. Like it's more on the BI side. So. That that has been said before on the show. To be quite honest with you, um, so you know, tell us tell us about some 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 things that you've done with the platform um, that that make it unique, right? I mean, there's there's clearly the 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 big public cloud providers that have their analytics and TensorFlow and all that kind of stuff in machine learning, like. What first of all, are, do you consider them competitors? And then, if so, what what's the kind of uniqueness uh, of the platform and cool things you've done with it? Yeah, yeah. So, good question. I I think yeah, definitely we would consider the big cloud platforms competitors. Um, we we've tried to take a tact where that competition was not so abundantly apparent, right? To be a little disruptive on that uh, account, where our workflows, you know, we have customers that. Uh, they're running three or 83 models in a workflow. So it's not like, hey, I want, you know, it's not Google Envision API endpoint or Alexa, you know, endpoint where I take audio and I get back a transcript. It's, you know, it comes from the frustration that Ben and I have felt over our careers where we're often talking to people who sit on this, you know, proprietary thing that does something like, you know, transcribe text or transcribe audio into text. And we have a really rough time convincing them that it's not that valuable. Like they're they're really convinced that it's super valuable, and you're like twelve steps away from value, buddy. Like, yes, we need text out of your audio, and then we have like twelve steps, and then value is delivered. And uh, so, you know, we we conceived of this idea of an AI workflow where there's a lot going on inside of there, and often, you know, dozens of models are firing on the same piece of data, or a cascade of events that creates data, and there's models firing on that. So these very complex workflows that are instantiated pretty quickly um, and fairly simply uh, turn into a single result set 
And that's what engineers want. They just want the single result set. I want to query my database. I don't care how many tables I had to go after to get that data. I don't care how many joins or how complex that was. Like, I actually just my result set. That's what I'm going to do. And so that's been kind of that's been our kind of design imperative is give engineers a result set that they can consume immediately. Uh, and, and so we've done a lot of interesting things in our platform to make that possible. Uh, moving forward, uh, the emphasis is now. Uh, shifting to a very specific kind of workflow that just comprehends unstructured data and doesn't require a historical training set to get forward, go forward. Like we are, we begin with a pre-trained model. So. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So um, anything else we missed about what you guys are doing? I saw on your website, Ziff cloud, like what is that? Yeah. So that's, that's, that is, it's a layer on top of AWS we're not using AWS ML, but we are using their web services. And so right now, all of our customers who are running their workflows, they're all being evaluated in on, on our cloud. So they send us new data and they just get back a result set. And we're, we're evaluating millions and millions of web calls a day. Uh, and it just kind of hums along and works. And it's inferencing at insane speeds, at insane parallelism. Like, like, yeah, you know, cool features and speed stuff. But really, at the end of the day, it... It just means that engineers don't really have to think that carefully. Like they can just use it and, and abuse it, hopefully. So, okay, cool. What else? What else about the company? What did What did we not cover uh, that you think uh, that the listeners need to need to hear about? Yeah, well, from the company perspective, I don't, I don't think there's much. Like we, we're excited about what we're working on at our company, but uh, you know we've been able to bootstrap to date. I've talked to a lot of venture capital firms, and and it's just right now I feel like with a B two B play. Uh, there's something very clarifying about getting paid for what you do. Like you identify value very quickly and very clearly. And I've told them like, we're not really interested in running science experiments. If we want to, we could both go back and finish our PhDs, right? Like that, that's, that's a good science experiment. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think that about covers most of it. Yeah. I, I would love to have a follow on conversation. Uh, and I'm actually right now working on a, on a post about, you know, how do I get started? in data science. And, and I would love to look deeper into how do you personally get started in data science? Not how do you become a data scientist, but really like what is a mid-career transition? Where do I fit? Am I, am I the scientist? Am I the business analyst? Right. Or am I the engineer? And I really think those are the three. Like if you're not in there and, and you think you could become a data scientist, the, the answer is probably you can. So. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, neither the scientist, the business analyst, or the engineer. Uh, just a talking head. But um, what I what I do know what I do know is that my value here is uh, to take this thing out. Now, normally, Brent and I alternate, but Brent's like hogged the last fifteen minutes of talking, and I just felt left out. Um, That's yeah. Just chime in, Brian. I yeah. miss you, man. Well, the way I'm going to chime in is to say goodbye. Um, uh -huh. So, so we appreciate it. Look, we we crushed this hour. Um, we are more than more in love with you than you'll ever want to know. Uh, there are multiple multiple crushes on Gonzo now. Um, and so, first of all, where do people see you next? Are you doing any public speaking or anything like that? Yeah. So we will be in LA on the thirtieth. I think the thirtieth or the first. It's it. We'll be there both days. So. I think we're doing it's at Microsoft. It's at the Microsoft Building in LA. Uh, we'll be doing a, a meetup there with a couple other speakers, and uh, you'll be seeing a lot of us next year running around with Nvidia and Pure Storage. Um, we're working on a kind of a joint uh, appliance and software stack to make this kind of really, really dead simple. Um, so you'll be able to see us all over uh, next year. But yeah, the next we'll be in LA. Um, would love to talk to anybody. We'll do breakfast with just about anybody. And uh, yeah, and we're always here. If you guys want to come out and ski, uh, we <laughs> do have the world's best powder. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Bar. Brent's on so, his way. Brent, that is Brent's thing. Every time I, every time he, he'll skip a podcast, it's like, we got to move this one because of going skiing. So that's his I thing. I was, yeah. I now know what y'all are doing. So Twitter, where do we hit you on Twitter? So everybody can read it, uh, reach right out to you. Hear your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, at DataGonzo. Okay. Uh, and uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> what? Uh, a little, uh, I Nobody. know. A little bit on Twitter. I 
I like that Twitter just kind of owns the the sadness of the state of social media. Facebook tries to elevate it and say it's better than it is. But you know. awesome. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's it, man. Uh, again, on behalf of all our listeners, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. And um, for the hot aisle, I am Brian Carpenter, and I'm Brent Piatti. And Gonzo, thanks for crushing this podcast, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>